Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Anyway, thank you, guys. Should Americans be worried about inflation, sir? Well, I, I really doubt that we're going to see an inflationary cycle. And by the way, talk of inflation, the overwhelming consensus is going to pop up a little bit and then go back down. I don't know anybody, including Larry Summers, who's a friend of mine, yeah. who's worried about inflation. We also know that as our economy has come roaring back, we've seen some price increases. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Inflation, you said? Okay. Well, I would first say that uh, one of the steps that we've taken as an administration is to provide uh, a range of assistance uh, to the American people, whether it is in the form of $1,400 checks. Caitlin, if you actually look at the uh, numbers and the trends over the last several months, it shows that core inflation uh, one was not only below uh, expectations, but it decelerated from last month. You had told uh, us at a town hall, I think it was in July, that the in, this was just near-term inflation. Number one thing that the president can do is help get COVID under control. Uh, that, we know, is the root cause of inflation and the price increases we're seeing for a range of reasons. And finally, even as we meet, even as we meet to work uh, out this challenge, it's important to maintain perspective. Prices have gone up. And families and individuals are dealing with the realities of, of the, that bread costs more, that gas costs more. Now we have to understand what that means. That's about the cost of living going up. When people go to the grocery store and a pound of meat is more expensive than it should be. We agree, that's less related to the supply chain issues. The inflation has everything to do with the supply chain. Inflation is up, it's up. The second big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin. Yes, it will be an outside event and we'll be marking it in that way. Go ahead. Thanks, Jen. How can you guys say that President Biden was not a close contact with Speaker Pelosi when there is video of the Speaker kissing him? Well, Peter, the way that it is defined is by the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, and their definition of it is 15 minutes of, of contact within a set period of time uh, and within six feet. Uh, it did not meet that bar. 
It does not mean that uh, that no one will get COVID around the world who does not have a close contact. It just means we are defining for all of you uh, whether the president and their interaction met the definition of the CDC of a close contact. Half the cabinet was there on Tuesday, at least two additional cabinet members. Remember the long line to stand, you know things have kind of changed since the days when i first got there he's been there a couple terms i was there i got elected when i was 29 years old in the united states senate from a very modest background, and I was there for 36 years before becoming vice president. We always used to fight like hell. And uh, even back in the old days when we had real segregationists like Eastland and Thurman and all those guys. But at least we end up eating lunch together. Things have changed. we got to bring it back. And Rob, I'm sorry you're leaving because you're one of the good guys. I don't mean, I mean because the way you treat other senators, the way you treat everybody. I appreciate it. Some new information, and we're learning that the ATF, that's the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, investigates gun crimes in this country, is now on the scene of the Brooklyn shooting. Uh, Anthony Barksdale, I've heard it consistently from New York police officers, and we've heard this from public comments from the commissioner, from the mayor, about the problem with guns uh, and gun violence in New York, where those guns come from, how easy it is to get them into the city from, from other states. Uh, they speak they speak of them coming from southern states uh, often with, with more lax gun laws as, as you watch what's yeah. been happening in new york with a shooting like this but also a broader statistical rise in violent crime crime what's the role of guns in that guns play a significant role in what the united states is seeing in many cities including new york um yesterday the president and in, in my opinion gave a wonderful speech about focusing on guns and the damage that guns in the wrong hands do in the United States. Um, we also, you mentioned the ATF, uh, looking to get, uh, the president is looking to appoint a new head of the ATF, which would be a significant uh, uh, event for such a vital agency in reducing violence in the United States. So um, it is a huge concern. He talked about ghost guns. Uh, he talked about the, the supply route that you just mentioned. So we've got a lot of hope, but we still have to make the things happen. This isn't just going to go away overnight, but an incident like this hopefully increases the urgency on both sides of the aisle to get something done about the amount of violence in our Exactly. Right. I, I, that is, that's exactly what I hear. What Yamish just said is what I hear from all the Trump supporters that I talk to who were Trump voters. 
and are still Trump supporters, they go, yeah, you guys are going crazy. He's doing, what are you so surprised about? He's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Well, and I think that the dangerous, you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts. And it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that if, is the that is our you, job. Yeah. If you look at the and welcome back to Flyover Politics podcast. It's the 15th of May year of our Lord 2022. How we doing out there? I could only apologize. I. Uh, if you go back to the last time you saw me to now, you could tell I took a turn for the worse and I still am not better. I've been referred to tertiary care to get a surgery to fix my esophagus, but my digestive system pretty much shut down. Uh, my face looks like crap because I have to wear a mask at work because there's something in there that's inflaming my stomach also. I, I'm just a puss, a gigantic puss. And I missed over 30 days of podcasts. There, I mean, there's so much content. I can't even cover it all. I mean, your intro is just a taste of it. My favorite's Mika's. We tell them the truth. But there are so many things that have happened. And, and I sit and look at it every day and go, God, I wish I could podcast. Because this is the craziest shit. This is stuff that would make you think we'd have mass protests like under Trump. Because the Trump things weren't really that bad. But the Biden things are... I mean, folks. The media is trying to spin that inflation's not bad. And all of us know they're lying. They had a super spreader event. White House Correspondents' Dinner. Everybody got sick. But hey, that's okay. I mean, in your life, do you think you'd ever think we'd have a baby formula shortage? And find out that DHS has pallets of it for illegals. And find out that DHS is going to release them, all of them. They're talking tough, but they're all just going to get released. These are just some of the things. The crack pipes. Crack pipes. We're handing out fucking crack pipes under equity or some shit. Crack pipes. And then they lied about the crack pipes. And then there's pictures of actual crack pipes from a journal. Not a right-wing rag. It's the Washington Examiner. They just asked for the kit. And they got it from four cities. And there's crack pipes. Don't have baby formula, but we have crack pipes. What the fuck? One of my favorites is this week, Pisaki saying, hey, he was totally on, on top of it. Totally on top of the baby formula. And, and they rolled this out. Let's see if I get the volume to work. It's another day, and anything could happen. Only Comcast Business's secure network solutions give you the power of SD-WAN. It's my second dip of the day. I only get six dips a day now. Still hasn't fixed my stomach. 
Comcast Business, powering possibilities. White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich starts us off tonight. Good evening, Jackie. Good evening to you, John. Today, the president let up on his rhetoric about ultra-MAGA Republicans, at least until he got in front of electrical union workers, and then now, he really... I thought that'd be a better soundbite, but I think I played one up front. They polled this. The Heart Research and Global Strategy Group found that MAGA was viewed negatively. So Biden decided, hey, let's put ultra. Biden attempts to appropriate, repropriate MAGA and ultra MAGA was the result of a six-month research effort by liberal groups. So we worked six months to come up with a own the con phrase. But we can't fix the border. We can't fix inflation. We can't fix the supply chain issues. We can't fix baby food. We can't fix it. You can't buy a fucking car. I don't know if this happened during this time. 4500 bucks, folks. I had to spend to fix my Jeep because there's no cars. What was I going to do? You got to have a car. I mean, you can work six months to come up with something that Trump's already turned into a badge of honor. The Mega King. Because he said that also. I mean... What the fuck? And then we have all these things. Pointer, Jim Psaki's legacy, one of the best press secretaries ever. Based on what? She spent the first year circling back and answering nothing. She spends the second year just being a bitch. And I had some best of Sockies. I'm not going to hurt your feelings and play it, especially since I have a podcast in 30 fucking days. That would just be rude. All she did was lie and spin. She didn't really answer shit. They have taken ownership of nada. They blame the world. They're like teenagers. Not my fault. Putin, China, Big Meat, and Trump. So here's some choice cut media stuff. I'm going to put the hypocrisy bumper in front. So you've been a special agent for a number of years. Correct. Special agent with the FBI. That's correct. And you're still being paid for that role. Yes. There's a number of very troubling things that are happening within the FBI. What brought you to Project Veritas? Project Veritas appears to be a victim of political undertakings, which is where this, this agency has gone. You came across some information. The file that you're talking about is background on the the Project Veritas investigation the, the, that resulted in the search warrant at your premises. We don't see a lot of investigations into news organizations. It's not common to see a criminal investigation, particularly one categorized the way that this is, is alerting and it's 
surprising based on the public information that is provided. So SIM is a classification that means it's a sensitive investigative matter. Because it's sensitive, it could be a political figure, it could be uh, a news media organization. Who makes the classification that we're news media? It would usually be identified as by the case agents who are working it, and it's also done in conjunction with the chief division counsel of that field office, who's going to be the top internal lawyer. That title would normally be the name of the subject, the name of the victim, the name of the type of crime that is being alleged, if, you know, if these things exist. In this case, it's restricted because uh, even the name of the subject would indicate the nature of what was going on. CAST is an internal program in the FBI that uses sophisticated techniques to exploit cell phone data for location and for content. Going down to Sentinel tags. This was chosen by the people who opened up this case. They had to specifically list the threat tags that they wanted to identify. The intelligence investigation is meant for information. That doesn't require that you've done anything wrong. The dialogue, that's the governing dynamic for the FBI. One paragraph justification for spying on anyone? It's one of the few parts of the entire public document that you see that will be redacted. It's truly an incredible amount of power if used wrong. But what do you hope comes from your endeavor to be here and, and say all this? I would hope that we could end up with a nonpartisan law enforcement agency in this country that's not doing things that seem to be inappropriate. Just you doing the job that you're told following those orders is to maintain your paycheck and your pension that gives you the Holocaust. So then you end up with somebody who's willing to do something. What is the next move going to be for Elon Musk? All eyes are on Musk and his Twitter account right now uh, because he is pushing forward with this 41 plus billion dollar bid for Twitter. Over the weekend, the Twitter board adopting a so-called poison pill provision, trying to drive Musk back from his hostile takeover bid the poison pill would essentially release more shares at a cheaper price to other shareholders that would make a takeover a lot less desirable for Musk since his stake would be diluted. The tech titan spent a lot of the weekend trolling Twitter right on Twitter, in one case amplifying a suggestion that his bid would only be rejected if the system is rigged. We've seen that kind of rhetoric before. It's very Trumpian. Twitter stock is up. They put the poison pill, as you mentioned, on Friday. That was a stock market holiday, so the market was not closed. So. So the market was closed. So this is the first time we're seeing investors' reactions to the pill, and they seem to like it, which indicates they are not necessarily in Elon Musk's camp. So, so what you're saying is this investor action would suggest it's getting even harder for Musk? Absolutely. They would argue what they would say are improvements to moderation helped user engagement, helped revenue. And so just from right. a pure financial perspective, moderation has been good for business. Right, no, people don't wanna play in the gutter. Most people don't wanna send out their kids to play in the gutter. Twitter's tried to clean it up somewhat, still, mm -hmm. still, got, mm -hmm. still a lot of complaints from a lot of people about how Twitter does that. And I think if you're, if you're a random user that gets suspended for no good reason, you feel that and that's a big deal and that's a big problem. But the argument that make Twitter more chaotic yep. would seem to be a loop. Let me try out a theory on you, Matt, which is it's too yep. early to know if this product, if this service was a success or a failure. I've, you know, you got all the haters today saying this thing was a failure. I don't know if we can even ever assess that because it just simply didn't have enough time because of the management's change in direction. And at the end of the day, if you buy something, if you buy a giant media company, you get to do whatever you want with it. But it does mean there's a lot of suffering uh, for employees and frankly, disappointment among subscribers as a result. I think that's right. And if you look at something like Quibi, which is the kind of barometer of streaming war failure, Quibi got about six months to figure out whether it was working or not. You need that much to, to know what the data is and where the trajectories are going. 
I'm going rogue for just a moment. I just got to say this. I got to say thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this service of CNN Plus. This is a worthy venture. This was an outstanding experiment. And it was led by an amazing team of producers, directors, engineers, technicians, including the ones making this program happen right now. We still have some incredible guests and stories to tell, and we're great. And there's one demographic group I want to single out, and it's voters under the age of 35. Oh, yeah. Who have never experienced inflation in their lifetime. As I say, they're used to life when, oh, there's a new gadget out. Well, in six months, it'll be cheaper. Right. Not more expensive. This is a whole different world. Yeah. Look at these numbers here. They think over by a five-point margin greater. Right now, 82% of the public thinks the economy is only fair or poor. Adults under 35, it's 87%. Again, you want to buy a house for the first time, you're paying a higher interest rate than your parents have ever paid. Yeah. Uh, never, never mind food and gas. This is a huge part of the Dem coalition. It's not great. It's not great. You're talking about one of the key groups that not only helped Democrats win back control of Congress, um, you know, propelled Biden into the White House, um, but are also going to be in play in larger numbers than ever before in the upcoming midterms, right? And the economy is front and center. When we talk about the economy, let's be specific, we're talking about inflation, we're talking about cost of living, because the White House will again point to things like unemployment being at record lows in 17 states, under 3% in 20 states, uh, wage growth uh, at the rate it's been. But also the fact that that wage growth is not keeping up with the cost of living, right? right. So this generation, yeah, they stepped out into the world and were immediately hit with two back-to-back -back financial crises, right? You have the global financial crisis, then you have this related financial crisis from the pandemic, and things are not getting better. Yeah. Even if you just go back a year, expectations were so high, vaccines were coming out, things were gonna get back to, you know, back to normal. Their wages have been suppressed, they are forced into unemployment or underemployment, and they are pessimistic about the future. And Ruth, when America, as economy gets a cold, Nevada gets the flu. And, uh, and, and I want to show these Nevada numbers here because two incumbents, Democratic incumbent uh, Steve Sisolak, Democratic incumbent Senator uh, Catherine Cortez Masto, both were behind, trailing their potential uh, Republican opponents. There's still some primaries, still a lot of work to do there. But Nevada, when you look at the Nevada electorate, this is pieces of the coalition you see fraying away from Biden. Hispanic voters starting to, to, to peel away a little bit, uh, working class, uh, non-college uh, educated whites. This is a problem in Nevada. Well, Fiona, I think, puts into uh, undeniable and uncomfortable reality for Republicans is that everything about January 6th made everything about invading Ukraine easier for Vladimir Putin. Um, and I remember the first time I heard Vladimir Putin say Ashley Babbitt's name. I, I, I thought, why is he talking about Ashley Babbitt? Just talk about how January 6th is this. It, it's almost like a record on repeat in Russia. It was. Now the record on repeat is a different record, and it's all about Ukraine and Nazis on Russian state TV. But it was for a while. And I do want to push back a little bit on the idea that January 6th was the deciding moment for Putin. I think there were many, many moments along the way in the last couple of years that encouraged him or gave him the false idea that he could go into Ukraine, go further into Ukraine and achieve his insane paranoid aims without meeting much resistance. Um, it's not just January 6th, although Vladimir Putin today on Red Square took a shot at the idea of American exceptionalism, which he derided as hollow and uh, hypocritical. But you also have to look at, you know, the first impeachment in which uh, Mr. Goldman, to which Mr. Goldman was, uh, Goldman was privy. I mean, 
that first impeachment is where America learned about Vladimir Zelensky, about Ukraine, about all of these issues, right? And look at where Republicans stood on that. Now, who are now calling for more weapons, more aid, who are criticizing the Biden administration from the right, just go back a little bit further and see what they said about Ukraine then, right? And I think it showed all of it, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, all of it, I think, showed Vladimir Putin that, A, the U.S. was not a reliable partner to its uh, geopolitical partners, that it was uh, we were so busy chasing our own tails uh, internally that everybody could be manipulated every which way, especially the Republican Party. And so he kind of had a clear path to Kiev. Bombering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. When Rudy Giuliani shared bad intel from Ukraine, or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain, they're laundering disinfo, and we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice, or vote. Oh, information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So this information's origin seems likely less atrocious. <laughs> You know, Project Veritas was a liberal organization. You know all about it. It would be played everywhere, the things they find. It would be earth-shattering. You got Seltzer. You got Wallace trying to January 6th it. I had a whole show for the fall of CNN, and I put together as I sat in my chair wanting to literally shoot myself in the head because I was so fucking sick, the disinfos are. I mean, are you fucking shitting me? Are you fucking shitting me? I mean, we were told for the entire Trump presidency that, folks, they are misinformation and disinformation as they did koi ponds and not landing in Normandy. I mean, there's so many fucking media stories about how Trump did something, said something, did it, it's all was a lie. PP tapes, Mueller reports, Russian disinformation, Russian include, uh, 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 fucking meddling in our fucking election. So they're going to come up with a disinformation board. And you know, by now, of course, sorry, that's just shit they don't want to hear. It's actually not factual. It's just that it's not facts they want to be brought into evidence. Ignore the hysteria over the disinformation governance board, says the Washington Post. The minister of truth clears something up. It's not conservatives being silenced on social media. Liberals and minorities. I'm not playing her voice. You, you don't get any of hers. Journalists for censorship. WAPO editorial gets shredded over defense of disinformation governance. It's a separate one. They need a whole bunch. They rolled them right out because anything this administration does. If they say that you all have to fucking eat shit. Wapo New York Times, roll that fucking shit out. Just get your shit fork out. 
Nina Jankowitz defending Kamala Harris and Ilian Omar is the latest disinfo drop. New disinformation just dropped, calling Kamala Harris a woman who slept her way to the top, or pointing out that Ilian Omar's married her brother on paper to ease his immigration are both forms of Russian disinformation. Men burst violently into your mansions and your life like the Kool-Aid man, demanding your attention, hawking options, and they believe are unarguably manifestly correct and indispensable. A taxonomy of trolls exerted from How to Be a Woman Online. I mean, I, I think the point is you... You couldn't have picked a worse person. If you literally go back and get past the fucking Mary Poppins shtick, this lady's been on TV for years. She is lauded on Twitter. She's a savant of disinformation, but all she spews is disinformation. I mean, Jane Cher, Pear, Car, the new press secretary, you, you go to her Twitter timeline and sweet God. Every lie that's ever been said about a conservative is factual up there. And she's now your new press secretary, who we've already been anointed by, you know, she's been anointed by the media as the greatest press secretary, better than Psaki, because she's gay and black. That's why she's better than Psaki. I mean, Psaki was great, but she's not gay and black. I mean, come on. When you're gay and black, that makes you like a superhero. Because Marvel and all them, I mean, everybody's gay now. Or POC, or BIPOC, or something. You, you couldn't make this stuff up. And you couldn't do this under Trump. And before we go into the media jerk-off of the week, because you know the subject, it's, it's Supreme Court. Remember... People who trespassed on January 6th literally now are still in jail. I mean, they've now overturned a bunch of cases and some of them are going home, but there's still people in jail. I bet there's still a hundred motherfuckers sitting in a jail cell for almost two years without representation, without a bail hearing, without anything. Just left to fucking rot because they believe the wrong politics. And then a Supreme Court possible ruling gets leaked by the left. Because anybody who knows anything about Roe v. Wade, one of the justices got sick, and that's how they did it. They did a pressure campaign, the liberals, and they changed the whole vote so that you'd have 24-week abortion, which turned into kindergarten abortion in blue states. Let the baby die after it comes out. Abortion. They firebomb pro-life stuff. They're in front of justices' fucking houses. And the media began the big lie. That That's actually the big lie. Not that the election was jerry-rigged by the media and outside groups and Google and social media and a guy 
who nobody really likes got 81 million votes because we changed 80 voting laws. That's not a big lie. That's actually telling the truth. That, that election was rigged. They admitted it in Time Magazine. So once you admit it, I don't really have to worry about being a conspiracy theorist. You said you did it. You were proud of it. The big lie is that this is going to change anything. This just is the best decision I've ever heard out of Washington. As an independent, leave it to the states. You will have blue states that will now enact the most draconian, evil, fucking abortion laws on the planet. They will literally let you kill your kid if they fail algebra as a sophomore. And then the red states will go with the majority of people want before the third trimester. If you can't make your mind up on that, unless the health of the baby and all that shit. I mean, they, they always use that. Health of the baby and um, rape and incest. Well, if by 24 weeks you haven't figured out you don't want to carry your uncle's baby or the rapist's baby, I don't know what to say to you. You don't need 24 weeks to find out. I understand some women, 10, 11 weeks, and they find out they're pregnant. Got it. I got that. Mm-hmm. And I think abortion's evil. I think it should be banned. But the my life's experience has taught me that the left doesn't follow laws anyway, so they just do what the fuck they want. And it won't be coat hanger abortions, all these coat hanger chalk drawings. What the fuck? We have states paying people to go out, room and board and travel, to kill your baby. So don't tell me you're not going to still do it. You did it during illegal immigration, became sanctuary cities. You banned guns. You, you, the Constitution is a nemesis for you. It's not our guiding documents. You, you hate it. You don't want the Electoral College. You want the popular vote. You don't even want the popular vote if that didn't work the way. You just want to be in power. And you'll figure out every way in the world. Major, Majority Taylor Green, whatever the fuck her name is, she had to go to fucking court to fight to be on the fucking ballot. That's how crazy you people are. So don't even tell me there's not going to be abortions. You would still do it. That's why you passed your laws. Because you believed the Supreme Court was going to overturn it. That's what the media told us. And now the Supreme Court isn't overturning it. It's saying, send it back to the goddamn states where it belongs. And so you're about to hear arguments that we're going to stop same-sex marriage. What the fuck's that got to do with it? Gay marriage, not the same thing. The actual leaked ruling literally said this applies to nothing because this is a third party, you asshats. But facts... Just get in the way of firing up the base for the midterm. And I want you to know, I'm not a scholar. I'm not a political expert. I'm just some dickhead in the basement. A lot of people right now really could give two fucks about abortion. They just want to figure out how they're going to fill up their gas tank. And if they can find fucking baby formula, you fucking ghouls. 
Oklahoma's legislature has just passed a bill that would make performing an abortion a felony. The Republican governor is expected to sign this legislation. If and when he does, it will be the most restrictive abortion law in the country. CNN's Lucy Kavanaugh joins us now. Lucy, this bill far surpasses Texas's so-called heartbeat bill. What does it say? That's right, Anna. Perhaps the only thing that supporters and opponents of this bill agree on is that it's one of the harshest anti-abortion measures in the nation at the moment. A near total ban that would make it a felony for doctors and medical professionals to perform uh, abortions, except in cases of life-threatening medical emergencies, with punishments including fines of up to $100,000 and imprisonment of up to 10 years behind bars. Now, this does not provide exceptions in cases of rape and incest. The Republican governor promising to sign this into law when he does, without judicial intervention, uh, abortion rights will effectively end in Oklahoma over the summer. And what's happening in Oklahoma is going to impact women across the region. Uh, after Texas Republicans approved their controversial portion abortion ban, women from the Lone Star State started flocking to Oklahoma for reproductive health services. Uh, approximately 45% of Texas patients who have left the state for abortion have come to Oklahoma for treatment, according to a recent study from the University of Texas at Austin. So this leaves women in the region with extremely limited options for reproductive health. And of course, Anna, we're talking about women who can afford to travel out of state for treatment, who can afford to take time off work to find childcare. If you are poor and you live in Texas or soon Oklahoma, you could soon be left with virtually no options. And all of this uh, part of a broader push by Republican-led states to curtail abortion rights in anticipation of a pending Supreme Court decision on a Mississippi law that bans abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. The conservative majority on the Supreme Court, if they uphold that law, it could result in Roe versus Wade being overturned or substantially weakened. And that has prompted left-leaning states. In Madison, Wisconsin, a fire in an anti-abortion office that also lobbies against same-sex marriage is being investigated as arson. Investigators say the fire at the Wisconsin Family Action Office was called in early yesterday morning. No injuries were reported. Police say vandals also struck the office. Graffiti written on the wall of the building reads, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. I think what you see Chuck Schumer trying to do is rally the Democrats, the Democratic base in particular, around the, the idea that important rights could be lost. You've got to get out here and you've got to vote Democratic. Will that actually do it substantively? Will it actually work? Very hard to say. Well, the flip side of that, Laura, though, is, is the protests. Mm. Um, and, and this is a question about civility. The frustration people feel is personal. But where's the line? Obviously, what we see, the, the apparent arson at, a, um, at an anti-abortion nonprofit in Wisconsin is over the line. Violence is always over the line. But there are real questions and conversations today about protests outside Supreme Court justices' houses, particularly Justice Kavanaugh. Um, where do you think that line is? I think for a lot of people, the, a conversation about civility feels... Um, like it misses the mark mm. when constitutional rights that you believe that you had for over 50 years are about to be overturned. The justices have security. So far, all of the protests have seemed overwhelmingly nonviolent. 
Uh, there are plenty of protests that happen every single day in this country, around the country, at abortion clinics, blocking women from getting into clinics. And we don't cover those as if there's four mm -hmm. alarm fires. And so, yes, they're going to be protests in front of Kavanaugh's house because people are angry. Um, and as long as they stay nonviolent, I think for most, uh, for most of the people who are watching it, you can understand wh where they're coming from. Even if you may think politically it's not the right thing, you can understand sort of where, where that animated feeling is coming from. Eric, what about trying to apply equal standards? You know, if there were Republicans protesting outside liberal justices and, and the toner, tenor got hot, do you think it would be the same principles at play? Or would, would some people be having a different opinion? It, it is the same principle, um, although people would react differently. I, I think, though, it's, it's really important to, to keep in mind that the credibility of the court is also where some of this yeah. points to, right? I mean, when you look at some of the polling, the support for the court has fallen to really all-time lows over the last few decades. Um, and the protests happen because protests work. You know, it's not like, the, you know, they are human beings. They, mm. they notice when people are screaming outside their house, outside their workplace, the court itself. Um, they try to sort of follow the media. They might be watching right That's now. That's why they set up barricades. Well, they, well, ex exactly right. I mean, there's, 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 you know, there's a reason they let people in while they're doing their arguments. You know, like they, they um, the, so the protests, I think, are... are Probably a good idea. I believe very deeply in civility and, and the ability to have a civil discourse. And so, you know, it's important that there be guardrails on this. It's one thing to protest from a distance. You know, how close you get, the details really do matter. But not targeting personal lives or particularly families. I think that's an important line. Um, I understand this is personal for people. People are frustrated. John Meacham, when we think about other constitutional rights that have been conferred, in recent decades, and that includes Republican decisions yeah. as well, the right to marriage, that the, the majority opinion was Justice Kennedy, uh, the mentor, of course, of Justice Kavanaugh on this court. Uh, what does this mean for the right to, to contraception? Because basically the privacy right undergirding Roe was Griswold in Connecticut, and that was the right to privacy, and then, and then by extension, of course, the right to marriage. So what does this mm -hmm. mean for LGBTQ rights? I think everything is at risk. And, you know, people like me, and uh, I don't want to drag you into this, but uh, people who do what we do for a living often say that democracy is a fragile thing, that the Constitution is a fragile thing. Well, if you ever thought that was hyperbolic or a cliche or some sort of uh, uh, casual thing, read this draft opinion. Elections matter. The court matters. The composition of the Senate matters. The presidency matters. Because in a republic, all, all rights are supposed to be eternal, right? They're supposed to be grounded in the, uh, both in reason and in, and in uh, a theocentric view. They're supposed to be eternal. But in practice, they're temporal. And what we're seeing today in vivid terms, right where you're standing, is that the rights that many people have taken for There are many rights that are protected, that we as citizens enjoy, many freedoms and rights that are not explicitly mentioned in the Constitution. And my biggest fear is that this is not the end. This is the beginning of the evisceration of many of the rights we enjoy today, such as the right to privacy, uh, the right uh, to contraception. My also uh, big fear, Christine, is that 
this opinion affirms that women don't have control or agency over their reproductive health, over the rights to make choices about their bodies, and thereby regulating women to second-class citizens. The right uh, that is described in Roe v. Wade is the, the, the basis is the right to privacy, which is implicit, according to Roe v. Wade, in several different constitutional provisions. It's the same right, the right to privacy, that the court recognized in saying states can't ban married couples from buying birth control. It's the same provision that they said states can't ban consensual sodomy between people of the same sex or different sexes, that there are certain regions of people's lives that the legislatures may not legislate in. This is a constitutional right. Does that mean that same-sex marriage is safe? No, not at all. I mean, where is that in the Constitution? I mean, talk about what is and isn't in the Constitution. This notion that the difference between all these privacy rights is that one involves an unborn being, whether you call it a child, a fetus, whatever, that's nowhere either. So this is just semantics. I mean, he's just trying to distinguish abortion from these other rights because he knows people are going to go crazy and say, well, what about gay marriage? What about all this other stuff? But anything that is based in this right of privacy and all of these things. Bombshell, the Supreme Court poised to strike down Roe versus Wade. That according to an unprecedented leak of the justice's draft opinion overnight, a decision while not yet final would alter the nationwide battle over abortion. This leaked draft means that our deepest fears are coming true. This is shocking, unprecedented to be holding a Supreme Court draft opinion leaked. Uh, this is the Mississippi abortion case oral arguments heard in December, but this is a draft opinion that suggests the court is ready to overturn Roe versus Wade. That is a decision that would end 50 years of abortion rights in America. The blockbuster story broke overnight on the Politico website, reporting that a draft of the Supreme Court's opinion shows the court overturning Roe v. Wade in a blistering ruling. In a joint statement, Democrats, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi accusing some of the conservative justices on the bench of lying during their confirmation hearings about their willingness to overturn Roe. Adding, if the report is accurate, the Supreme Court is poised to inflict the greatest restriction of rights in the past 50 years, not just on women, but on all Americans. The president of Planned Parenthood speaking out overnight. We've never lost a constitutional right. It is absolutely outrageous. Making it almost certain the fight over Roe v. Wade will be a major issue in the upcoming midterm elections. It makes the election for the House and the Senate um, more important than any we've seen uh, in our lifetime when it comes to the protection of women's rights. It's just devastating to read. It's only a draft opinion. It's possible the court could change its mind. But what this draft opinion says is that five justices, after they heard oral argument in the Mississippi case in December, adopted the most full-throated opinion, they, full-throated full uh, position they could, which is to fully overrule Roe versus Wade. This draft opinion looks like it was written by Robert Bork, the failed nominee in 1988. It is as extreme an opinion as the conservative leader. Now, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, the question of abortion will go back to the states. And for years, conservatives have argued that this would be the federalist solution that could help calm passions in the culture wars. 22 states already have laws in place to ban or severely restrict abortion if Roe falls, with four other states ready to act. Now, these laws include bans on abortion after 15 weeks or even six weeks. Many women don't even know they're pregnant. 
Many of these new laws have no exceptions, even in the case of rape or incest. Which means that if you live in heavily gerrymandered states like Texas, Florida, and Ohio, women who are raped could be forced by the state to carry their rapist baby to term. This is the opposite of small government. This is the opposite of anything resembling libertarianism. It isn't conservative. It's radical. And not only that, the Federalist fantasy seems to be next on the Republicans' to-do list, with the Washington Post reporting that some GOP senators have been talking about a nationwide ban on abortion after six weeks, if and when they retake control of Congress. So watch out, because if this draft does indicate the end of Roe v. Wade, it will not cool the culture wars in our country. It will not help us find common ground. It will not help elevate the court beyond partisan politics. Instead, it will undercut majoritarian democracy, undermine privacy protections, and pour gasoline on our already inflamed political division. Overnight, an apparent draft Supreme Court opinion. Are they going to overturn a nearly 50-year-old president the reaction this morning and how it would dramatically upend abortion rights across the country. It means that the conservative justices here are poised to overturn Roe versus Wade and 50 years of constitutional law and profoundly transform the lives of women in the United States. The document dated February 10th apparently shows that five conservative justices have voted to overturn Roe versus Wade and nearly 50 years of abortion rights precedent. The language of this draft is blunt, at times scornful of the landmark decision that protected a woman's right to choose abortion. Melissa, I want to go to page five of the draft. It says, the Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. Can you explain this to us? So this is something that conservatives like to talk about incessantly, this idea of quote unquote enumerated rights, rights that are explicit in the text of the Constitution. What they don't say is that there are a lot of things that they hold sacrosanct that aren't explicit in the Constitution either. Um, so. Ex executive privilege, for example, or qualified immunity, which we've heard about ad nauseum over the last two years, none of those things is explicit in the text of the Constitution, yet the court has recognized them. So there are a range of different rights and principles that are implicit, um, but not necessarily explicit in the Constitution. And one of these things the court has said in its past is abortion, this idea that there are liberties, including the right to determine how your body will be used and to not make these choices under the compulsion of the state. We don't hear about that. And again, I can't even express the magnitude of this decision. This is not just overturning Roe versus Wade. It is actually withdrawing a right that had previously been conferred. We have never done anything like that in the history of this country. And this may pretend to put this off on the states to make their own decisions, but we've already seen Missouri enact or propose a law that would make it a crime to leave the state or deny individuals the opportunity to leave the state to seek abortion care elsewhere. And this is something that happened in the days when interracial marriage was prohibited. It could be a crime to actually leave the state to transact an interracial marriage. So we are actually going to see not a state-by-state se state settlement of this, but actually more interjurisdictional conflict over abortion. Jeff, uh, you, you predicted this would happen. Uh, talk about the importance of this. 
Well, I, I, I predicted it would happen, but I sure as hell didn't predict it would happen this way. I mean, I, I, you just have to understand what a breach of Supreme Court tradition this is. This was known as the one leak-proof institution in Washington. There has never been anything like a leak of this magnitude, anything close, never, never, never. And uh, it's just an indication of how riven this Supreme Court is by anger and viciousness over this issue. But putting the procedural issue aside, what this means, if this is, in fact, uh, a Supreme Court decision um, that is, as Justice Alito's words um, stand as the cor court's decision, what this means is that a constitutional right that women have had in this country for 50 years, pushing three generations, is gone. It is gone overnight. And it is now up to the politicians. And this idea that it is simply returning the abortion rights to the states is not really correct. Because what we are seeing in these states that are banning abortion is they are reaching out. They are trying to ban abortion in the whole country. They are banning um, the use of the males for medical medical abortions. They are banning travel for abortion purposes. They are criminalizing attempts from members of other states to try to get um, to try to uh, ban abortion within their states. I mean, this is a constitutional earthquake if it stands, and American life, not just American law. Will be the Guttmacher Institute, a reproductive rights research organization, estimating there could be a nearly 3,000% increase of out-of-state women whose closest abortion clinic will be in California. Ever since September, when Texas's restrictive ban took effect, providers have been seeing surges. We've seen a doubling of the number of patients coming from outside of California, um, and we expect that to only increase. Dr. Laura Dalton has been anticipating more out-of-state women at the country's largest Planned Parenthood. We are able to increase capacity by 250 to 500 patients a week. California already has laws not requiring patient disclosure, even if they are out of state. But lawmakers are now trying to take greater steps. Our message to women across the country is California will be a place where you can get answers. It will be a place where we will embrace you and help you with all of the information you need. And if it means providing the ability to help you get here. 13 state bills were proposed soon after Texas's ban. Everything ranging from paying for travel to preventing criminalization. But already some Californians voicing opposition. Part of our huge concern with so-called abortion tourism is that the state of California would be using taxpayer dollars that, in our opinion, should be going to mothers and families here in the Golden State and would instead be incentivizing people to fly from across the country here to California to receive free abortions. California resident Abby Fanlow was six weeks in when she discovered she was pregnant. It took another month to get an abortion. But she says she at least had the option. What is your reaction hearing that there is going to be a likely row reversal and that some women are going to have to travel thousands of miles to get the care that you got? Really scared. Um, I rem like I can still sort of feel the shot of adrenaline that went through me when I saw that positive pregnancy test. And the only way I calmed myself down in that moment was knowing that I had a choice 
to get a safe abortion. And CDC Director Rochelle Walensky says her fear is for women who don't have the resources to travel. She says they might take matters into their own. Every part of that, Nina Jankowicz should be going batshit crazy because it's all disinformation. All of it is disinformation. It's disinformation. I mean, what the fucking actual fuck, folks? It literally just says you can live in your state and do your thing. Every state has a state next to it where you're able to kill a baby. Most states aren't going to ban it. They're going to allow abortion. They're just going to have restrictions on different levels. Because once again, 70% of this country believes it shouldn't be federally funded. We're paying for it. PPFA gets $650 million a fucking year, and they do 650,000 morning after abortions. We pay for that. It's not under the hide. Chemical abortion was fucking authorized under the ACA. I kept up with it. I'm sorry. I actually, I actually like facts. Sorry about that. And 70% of this country believe it with restrictions. Most of this country believes what the left used to think. Legal, safe, and infrequent. That used to be the thing. They took the infrequent way the fuck off. They, they went full-fledged, kill that motherfucking baby. You're not a woman. And, and I thought we didn't have women. That's the thing about this. Did you notice weeks prior, it was tranny, 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 pregnant men, Calvin Klein. I'm not even putting the picture up. I, I got the picture. I'm not doing it. Today's a no screenshot podcast. I'm just doing a podcast that happens to have a camera. Motherfucker, please. A dude with a beard, with a belly, who's a chick that got a, yeah, for underwear. We were all in for the trans, birthing motherfucking people. And all of a sudden, we just found women. A Supreme Court justice, who is the greatest Supreme Court justice. Let me do it like Biden. The greatest Supreme Court justice ever. Most qualified ever. Couldn't fucking define a woman, but now we got women again. We got women rights. We're fucking violating women again. And there's no irony. They, they don't even notice that they're fucking gigantic hypocrites. But yeah, I know that was a lot, but it's not even the worst. Now we go in the worst, you're going to see whatever the fuck, doing abortions, singing in front of church, protesting at houses, and the most evil soundbite I've ever fucking heard. Ever Ever, ever. I used to play Samuel L. Jackson, Motherfucker of the Day. You know what? I'm going to play Motherfucker of the Day. Right before the soundbite, you're going to hear Motherfucker of the Day. In 2017, uh, a survey found only 39% of black women could even afford birth control, and that was just at a cost of $10 or less. So I'm curious to hear from you how this loss of a constitutional right will impact the black women in your state, Mississippi. 
Well, abortion restrictions are medically unnecessary and based on false assumptions, and uh, they are part of a broader political agenda um, that is racist, based in racism, xenophobic, xenophobia, and designed to exert power and control over pregnant people's bodies. And so protect, protecting abortion access is essential in reproductive justice, and it's even more urgent in states with limited access to abortion like Mississippi and Texas. Michelle, I want to stick with you on this because this whole notion that, you know, women should have children um, and just, you know, let the kids get adopted. Well, that's not always uh, a safe route, particularly for black and brown kids. Black kids do not get adopted uh, often. There are we have stats on it. Um, there are often kids who stay in the system uh, for a long time. When you look at the stats of who gets adopted, it is disproportionately uh, white children. Um, there are currently uh tens of thousands of children, hundreds of thousands of children in the foster care system who are just being shuttled through. So when people say that's a right, what would be your response? That's a, a better path for women. What would be your response? I'm all for adoption. Don't get me wrong. But just like your stats are right there, the proof is in the pudding. There is no rush to adopt black babies or brown babies. Let's be clear about that. Just like there is no rush uh, by the Republicans and the anti-abortion uh, terrorists and, and lawmakers in, in protecting and safeguarding the life of black and brown children and black and brown people in this country. So that is a false, is false rhetoric, and it's rhetoric that has been used for decades by the anti-abortion uh, establishment in trying to appeal, first of all, appeal to black people and then also to shame black women and black uh, pregnant people um, in deciding or in choosing abortion health care. Right. To appeal.
The demonic it. energy here. This is in. Th I mean, those were some of our young volunteers who are pro-life, and they were there to uh, voice their opinion on the subject. They are uh, staunchly pro-life, and I'm so proud of them. They were. This is what we're up against, Benny. It's really hard to watch. Why are these people so unhappy? Why are they always so angry? Every person I talk to on the right. It, you, you know, you and I were both at Mar-a-Lago last night. We saw the happiness and the joy emanating from the MAGA movement and from the crowd there. Everyone had a smile on their face. You go to a Trump event, everyone's happy. You wander into a leftist event. I mean, you're likely to get physically injured if they find out that you disagree with them. Oh, I mean, you saw the, the, the young lady, um, she was angry and she was spitting on right in the face of one of uh, our volunteers. They had water and other liquids poured on them. It was just abuse and it, it's, it is almost demonic. It feels very evil. But can you imagine, Ben? Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole? You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an asshole! You are an asshole. You dumb asshole! Asshole. Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole. Lori, MSNBC opinion columnist Zishan Alim wrote earlier this week uh, about this, and, and this is how he characterized it. Uh, nobody should be fooled. The, the reason right-wingers are suddenly fans of proprietary, propriety again is because so much of their political agenda requires using the Supreme Court to advance policy far too unpopular for the democratic process. This is something we have talked about a lot on this show. I certainly have been talking about it, uh, which is the combination of the 
the undemocratically elected uh, President Trump appointing three uh, Democrat, excuse me, three justices where the Republican majority that confirmed them represented far less of the population than the majority. And then on top of that, you have abortion that is actually something that 70% in this country of people want. So do, do you agree that this is going against the undemocratic will, but this is the only way Republicans can achieve this? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, here's the thing. Here's my feeling about the leaker. I, I would like to find out who the leaker is so I could make sweet love to that person because that person is a <laughs> hero to me. Okay? And if the leaker, yeah. a lot of people are saying it could be a conservative. If the leaker is a Republican, uh, and if I get pregnant during our lovemaking, I will joyfully abort our fetus and let them know. <laughs> I don't know if that answered your question. I probably didn't. Okay, I couldn't find the uh, Samuel Jackson, but I definitely found the asshole bumper. That was a good one. I would fuck him and abort his baby. Yeah. Yeah, your mom is so fucking proud of you. So fucking proud. So, of course, we have our op-eds. The leaked draft row opinion is a disaster for the Supreme Court. Ruth Marcus. Hmm. Okay. Uh, fuck, I, I shut my mouth. Supreme Court anti-democratic action on Roe v. Wade. They then, outside home, a neighbor rallies for abortion rights. And it's one of Kavanaugh's, uh, is it Kavanaugh's? Chevy Chase, Kavanaugh, yeah. And they, they did, oh, she is a hero. She is a patriot. Inside uh, a 49-year crusade, inside the movement to overturn Roe v. Wade, this anti-abortion activist. Why is it always anti? Why can't, you know, you guys get fucking pro. I wonder if, with the light off, it looks like it's fucking it up. Is that better? Maybe it's my hat. Uh, it looks like the lights are just way the fuck off today, huh? Let's turn this a butt hair. Is that better? It's really dark. Huh. That's weird. Anyway. Oh! Now we got some lights on it. Hey, this is my mare Throttleville. That's for Noah Gregson. My hat's in the car because I wear it for work. But we're going June 25th. Even though I'm sick. Yeah, I know you're saying you're a fuckhead who doesn't done, hasn't done a, a fucking podcast for fucking ever. But you're going to go to the NASCAR race. I don't give a fuck if I'm bleeding out my ass. I'm going to that NASCAR race. I'm going to see the mayor of Throttleville kick some fucking ass. Anyway. My body, my choice. Did the media support for COVID mandate hurt support for Roe v. Wade? And that's an interesting thing that nobody wants to touch. Nobody wants to fucking touch this because... You have spent three motherfucking years telling us you need to have 45 shots, wear a mask, and shut your cock trap. And more importantly, why is this not impeachable? I'm being upset, angry, and upset, and determined. The United States Congress can keep the elders the law of the land. They just need to do it. I, I've never seen you so angry. You seem to be... This is what the Republicans have been working toward this day for decades. They have been out there plotting. 
carefully cultivated these Supreme Court justices so they could have a majority on the bench who would accomplish something that the majority of Americans do not want. 69% of people across this country, across this country, red states and blue states, old people and young people, want Roe versus Wade to maintain the... I've never seen her like that. I've interviewed her, um, uh, you know, around a lot of historic events. But perhaps the most important of all of her important points is that 69% of Americans do not want to see Roe overturned. I obviously worked for pro-life politicians, president and, and, and uh, aspiring president, who did not support the amendments to ban abortion, did not support, uh, did not oppose the exceptions for rape and incest and life of the mother. All of these state laws are more radical than anything that's been in front of this country in a very long time. What happens next? My Every candidate for the Senate, be it a Republican or a Democrat, needs to go on record today whether they support a federal law to protect the right of privacy and liberty for women in making their own decisions about their bodies. Uh, and during which Republican senators even put up for grabs things like Loving versus Virginia, the case that uh, legalized or, or struck down bans on interracial marriage, that everything is up for grabs in the sort of culture wars. You know, you cited Alita and also understand where this is all going, which is a place that they've been very clear about wanting to head for decades now. And so when you think about things like the right to contraception, the right to interracial marriage, uh, the right to even think about things like forced sterilization, many of those things have similar histories to the ones that are outlined by Justice Alito in this draft opinion. So, so let's talk about this Supreme Court leaked draft. Yeah. How unprecedented, first of all, is the leak and the way they came down in terms of breaking president precedent, ignoring stare decisis, and deciding to completely overrule Roe v. Wade after 49 years. Yeah, I, I think the leak is unprecedented, both in its breadth, its, its scope, um, in its completeness. You know, we've heard rumors before about where the court is going to go, how the justices perhaps were aligned, but never actually seen a, a draft opinion. And that's serious, and that's something that needs to be addressed. But what we really need to focus on is what's contained in that um, leaked uh, opinion and where the court appears to be lining up. Looks like they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade, inconsistent with a notion that you um, you adhere to, to precedent that people have relied on over the course of the last 50 years. It's an attack on the right to privacy. And so the question has to be asked, is it only going to be abortion that is going to be at risk or is same-sex marriage going to be at risk? Uh, the, with regards to the regulation of contraception, is that going to be at risk? Even interracial marriage, all of these things are based on the right to privacy, which this opinion in its form as we saw it, uh, it really goes at the, that, um, that, that right to privacy. And if they care so little about precedent and overruling precedent, what about Brown v. Board of Education? What about other major civil rights rulings? Of the well, you know, essentially, that's a question 60s. that you might have said, well, that's, you're going too far, Andrea. And yet, you think about those Trump judges who, when they were questioned about, is Brown versus the Board of Education a super precedent or something that you would not re-examine, they waffled on that. 
And, and I, that always kind of struck me. I mean, how could you waffle on Brown versus the Board of Education, and yet they did? Now, I'm not saying they're going to reinstitute Plessy versus Ferguson, and we're going to have a whole system of American racial apartheid again. But I think that shows a mindset that they're not going to adhere to the extent that they should uh, to, to precedent. There's an ideological agenda here. It's almost as if they've been waiting for this moment to arrive. They've got a court now that um, is ideologically driven, lower courts that are ideologically filled. And I really, the American people are going to have to watch over the course of the next 18 months or so. We're going to see courts, and especially the Supreme Court, deal with affirmative action, uh, abortion, uh, an important gun case. There's As thousands are expected in the nation's capital and cities across the country in protest, demanding access to safe and legal abortions. We want to make sure that folks have the opportunity to make their voices heard. Over 17,000 people expected to gather in Washington, D.C. There'll be more than 450 marches all across the country today, from Los Angeles to New York City, where nearly 40,000 people have signed up to participate. The call to action stemming from elite Supreme Court draft opinion overturning the landmark Roe versus Wade decision, guaranteeing a woman's right to an abortion. If overturned, 26 states would ban or severely restrict access to abortion affecting more than half the people of reproductive age in this country, according to Planned Parenthood. This morning, days after the Senate failed to pass a major vote protecting abortion access ahead of a likely Roe v. Wade reversal, multiple states bracing for a dramatically different landscape for reproductive rights. In Oregon, several nonprofits started working years ago to expand abortion access. It's going to pave a path towards a better future here in Oregon, and that's incredibly powerful. In the first law of its kind, Oregon's lawmakers approving a war chest of $15 million for abortion, some to help women from other states, including next door Idaho, where abortion could soon be completely banned. Idaho's lieutenant governor recently calling for a special session which would in part eliminate rape and incest from abortion rights in this interview with NBC affiliate KTVB. We can once and for all prohibit all abortions and make, and, and make Idaho be the sanctuary of life that we believe that life begins at the moment of conception. Even though her words received backlash from her own party, abortion activists bracing for many scenarios, including potential criminalization for abortions. Are you guys ramping up for a legal fight at your organizations? Absolutely. We know that they're not going to stop at the constitutional right being overturned. We know that they're going to start trying to target providers and people in states like ours who are continuing to provide that care. And they impeached Trump for saying this. Impeached him. So in this shit show we have of a Democratic administration, Biden told Afghanistan Prime Minister to downplay his losses of land and the Taliban was going to take it over. We impeached Trump for meddling in a foreign country. We have proof they've withheld money from agencies. That was also part of that impeachment. And now we have the entire Democratic establishment saying we're going to fight like hell. It's okay uh, from the podium of the White House briefing to uh, go to and threaten SCOTUS's lives. It's okay to um, peacefully, but... Press them. Those are the words. The president has condoned it. The media has condemned the Republicans for saying that a leak, which is against the law, and protesting outside of SCOTUS's or any judge's house is against the motherfucking law. 
the motherfucking law, they're bad. Because they should just be mad that some states aren't going to let people kill their baby when they're in college. And then you have them lauding the protesters again, January 6th. They're all terrorists. Now these people are patriots. 100% fucking patriots, my friends. And then, of course, Mitchell. Same sex or fucking biracial marriage. I mean, Jesus Christ. NPR fact check. <clears throat> Things claiming to debunk seven abortion myths, but at least five of the responses are wrong or deceptive. This is why the media fact checking is a joke. So claim one is about support for Roe ending Roe. <clears throat> they shied a poll showing Americans support abortion being legal, but somehow ignore all the polls showing Americans do support restrictions on elective abortions after the first trimesters. Those restrictions are not possible in Roe. Uh, claim one uh, continued, the reason for the disconnect is that most Americans wrongly believe that overturning Roe means completely ban on abortion, which is not true. Claim two is disputing that abortion skyrocketed after Roe. I don't need a link to any other source on this one because their own chart shows it to be true. This is what I call the true but inconvenient, so we will label it false approach. 68 million babies. Claim three is disputing that abortion is dangerous. To justify this debunking, they compared deaths of mothers from abortion to those from pregnancy. Of course, abortions are just a small subset of pregnancies. Also, when pro-life people say this, they also mean the baby. Another claim they debunk is that people are getting abortions late in pregnancy. Except they don't debunk it. They just suggest percentage is small. But the reason they only show it percentage is because 10% of 800K yearly abortions is 80,000 third trimester abortions. There are only 12 12K firearm homicides in the U.S. every year. So 80K, most that's a lot of dead babies. Another, The other claims they seem to debunk are claims that barely anyone makes, such as that no one who is transgender gets an abortion. They didn't even attempt to debunk any pro-abortion myths and got many of these wrong. Terrible fact-checking, but it's NPR and we pay for it, so what do you expect? Hmm. CNN polling, compare pre- and post-polling, the draft opinion does not appear to have shaken the midterm landscape. Isn't that sad? I forgot to put this one up. It took a break. Yeah, sure it did. Oh, I didn't get the ones I wanted to get. I didn't like the pictures. I have pictures of the churches that they fucking destroyed. And what was that lady, thank God for abortion, in that soundbite played? Well, what is... And Warren... How do you get this angry over killing babies? Think well of a shit burglar you are that you're that angry over killing, not being able to kill a baby. That gets you that angry. I got to kill me some babies. And have you noticed we haven't heard any pregnant people? It just went away. Politico AP report on apparent spontaneous combustion of Madison pro-life group. Never said it was said that it was bad. Tammy Duckworth on Mother's Day. Flowers and cards are wonderful, but this Mother's Day, every mom deserves a senator that is prepared to codify Roe. You can't be a mom if you kill your baby, dumbass. You understand that, right? If you kill the baby, you're not a mom. Because you don't have a baby. 
whole article from Town Hall. The media cover-up of leftist pro-abortion of violence has begun, and they list numerous incidents that have happened since this happened, and nobody's talking about it. I wish I could do something about Roe v. Wade overturning. It is done. It's a gun. There were numerous you-need-to-kill-the-justices on Twitter. They never took them down. Democratic Pro-Choice Caucus flags the word choice as harmful language. So now you can't say pro-choice anymore. I don't even know what we're supposed to say. I'm so confused. So here's, here's Tucker. Julianne Appling is with the Wisconsin Family Action Office, the place that was just firebombed in Madison. Sorry, where a fire broke out. She joins us tonight. A fire broke out. I'm sorry even uh, to say that to you. It's got to be painful since it was your office that was firebombed. What do you make of the coverage of this, by the way? Well, the coverage has been amazing, Tucker. And, um, you know, to see this thing go national, it's been quite an, quite an experience, to be honest. You know, we're an advocacy group, an educational group. We do come at the issues of the day from a Christian perspective. And I, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure what would happen after I found out that we had had this, you know, Molotov cocktails thrown into our office, fires ex- ignited, and, you know, graffiti written on, on the outside walls of our building. So the coverage has been mixed. I've talked to some media outlets where, you know, basically they said that, hey, you guys did this. It's an inside job. Yeah, right. We're going to destroy our own office. Uh, That's certainly patently false. Um, Overall, though, I must tell you that other than referring to us as an anti-abortion group, um, which we would prefer to be, you know, recognized for being pro-life, the coverage, at least at the local level, and I think to some degree at the national level, has been fairly even-handed because we have such evidence. I mean, I'm walking on glass in my office. Uh, we have a major cleanup job ahead of us in order to get back to business as normal. And, and Tucker, may I say, you are exactly right in your monologue. This is fundamentally because we hold a Christian worldview and actually live it out. When I work in the legislature with legislators or when we talk to um, in churches or when we take our message to the media, that is the core issue. Well, yeah, and it's a it's a pretty I mean, you know, not every Christian leader, um, you know, fairly represents Christianity. There are a lot of lousy Christian leaders out there, but Christian people, you know, are are the are the kindest people, the most committed to human rights of any group. I, I can't think of another more committed. Why do you think they hate you so much? Well, you said it well. We stand in their way. I have been at this for 25 years, and I've said it repeatedly. When when there is an impediment in the way of the liberal agenda. They have to find a way to sideline you, to silence you. And I, I've even been told their ultimate goal is to destroy us. I'd say they tried that on Sunday morning, you know, under the cloak of darkness when they uh, attacked our office. That was the goal. They want us to go away. They want us to be cowed into silence. And I'm telling you right now, they picked the wrong group if that's what they want, because this has made us stronger. This has made us bolder. We're not going to go away. We're not going to be quiet. We, we are speaking truth. We're helping people. We're, we're encouraging people to stand up and show up and speak up on these issues. And they've got to silence us in order to uh, keep us from getting in the way of their agenda. And their agenda is truly to um, make Christianity uh, exactly, exactly. 
I think that's right. Julian Appling, I appreciate you coming on tonight, and I'm sorry about what happened. Once again, people are still sitting in fucking jail because of January 6th. They're still sitting in jail. During the Tea Party, they used the IRS to go after conservatives. These are the fascists they are looking for. These are the people, these people who have screamed for four years under Trump, fascist, fascist, fascist. They are the fucking fascists. They're garbage humans. I mean, they're just garbage. To get this in this world with gas, inflation, Two million people expected to come across the border this year. Two million last year. Some of them pedophiles, murderers, traffickers, terrorists. The war in Ukraine. We're spending more money in Ukraine than we spend on anything in this country. Inflation that is so rampant and bad, we're going to have a recession. You fucking moonbats just want to kill babies. So, it's not surprising that they would try to make this a thing. Because their last thing just didn't work. And we're about to get woke. They really like the teaching kids that you can chop your dick off thing. Turn it up. Turn it on. Rock it like we of the Gospels of the Easter holidays was love one another. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If Jesus Christ was alive today, he would be called a groomer, he would be called woke, and he would be called a socialist if he was alive today. If he was speaking the message he spoke in the Gospels today about treating everybody with dignity, Jesus Christ hung around with prostitutes and tax collectors. He was nailed to a cross because he spoke on behalf of the most marginalized people in the Middle East. And the idea that certain segment of our population has tried to capture the faith and corrupt a message that I may have been a follower of since I was baptized and went, was confirmed and served on the altar in the course of this is something I think all of us, it's not just people of faith, but all of us, whether you're Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever you happen to be, or don't have a faith at all, the message that love conquers hate is a message all of us, all of us should be pushing, but especially the Christians in our country who cannot. And what DeSantis is doing is essentially making himself Trump 2.0. He is, he is taking all of the venom and the vitriol and turning it into policy, which is something that Trump could not do. Trump could do it on an executive level. He could basically have the, be the policy of the administration, but it wasn't law. DeSantis is making law of the Trump aesthetic. 
I want to ask you, I mean, this is obviously still a bit up in the air, but I'm, I'm curious, just some basics about this law. I mean, if a kid has two dads or two moms and the kid is in third grade, is in 10th grade, would they be allowed to talk about that? That, that is still unclear to me. I've also asked activists about this myself, and it was not clear to me in the answers that they gave whether, to what degree, is talking simply about my family and the way that I personally feel off limits in these classrooms. And I think that is the problem. The way the bill is written is, written is so broad. And I think that is in, in uh, exemplary of a lot of the bills that are being written now, whether they be about you know restricting the right to vote or restricting uh, critical race theory in classes, they're all written so broad that it makes it, it becomes a terror tactic in the sense that no one knows if they are in fact violating the law, and so they yeah. restrict what they do because they don't know precisely where the the line is and whether or not they will cross it. I also I wonder if a teacher who's you know in a in a same sex marriage is fine to talk about their same sex marriage, but a te uh, or a, an opposite sex marriage, excuse me, I can talk to you about my husband. If I, but if I was married to a woman, would I not be able to talk to the kids about my wife? Would I not be able to bring her to school events? I mean, there are a lot of questions, and it does raise uh, an issue of, of inequality. I know that there are um, civil rights groups that are suing over this. Uh, I, I do want to ask you about though the turn in the Republican Party and with the Sanders in particular but broadly in the Republican Party as well. In the United States, we're seeing a theme of the midterm elections emerging. It's the way you can see a wave start to form far from shore before it breaks on the beach. The theme, the talking point on the right, is about protecting kids from the dangers of the Walt Disney Company. Really. But Disney is just a, a stand-in. It's just a symbol for something bigger a conservative backlash to growing acceptance of gay and transgender people, a conservative fear that traditional beliefs are being trampled on. And there are entire networks that program to this fear and many politicians that react to it. That's the story here. As this CNN.com reporting says, three months into the new year, lawmakers in dozens of states have introduced a slew of bills that could limit the rights of LGBTQ Americans. Some of those bills are framed as parental rights bills. Opponents say they're really actually anti-gay bills, and it's easy to picture this battle continuing right through the midterm elections. But for folks who aren't partisan warriors, this battle is incredibly disheartening. I spoke with a Disney executive who's caught in the middle of it right now, and they said, you know, Disney's brand for decades has been family-friendly and has been gay-friendly, and that hasn't been in conflict. That need not be in conflict. But the media organs that profit from conflict are on a crusade now, working overtime to demonize Disney, claiming the company is indoctrinating and sexualizing children through movies and TV shows. So let's unpack what's going on, because I think this story is going to be with us for at least another six months. The main prompt this winter was Florida's parental rights and education bill, cast by critics as the don't say gay bill. Disney CEO Bob Chapek, you see him there on screen, he tried to sidestep the politics at first by not publicly opposing the bill, although Disney was working privately with lobbyists to try to water it down. Now, Chapek's lack of a public opposition sparked an internal revolt by LGBTQ employees and allies, causing Chapek to apologize and publicly oppose the bill and put Disney's weight behind the bill. And this has snowballed from there, with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis labeling Disney as woke and the right-wing media backing him up and celebrating him. 
Some activists even called for boycotts of Disney, and now GOP lawmakers and media stars are threatening Disney's copyrights and special self-governing status. In the past week, Fox News has talked about Disney hundreds and hundreds of times. And the mentions really ticked up after the same conservative activists who hyped concerns about critical race theory last year shared a leaked video of Disney executives talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It was deemed scandalous that some producers at Disney want to include more LGBTQ characters and storylines in shows. So this is the leaked video. It became this very hot topic in right-wing media. But I want you to remember, Disney's one of the largest companies in the entire world, with nearly 200,000 employees and lots of different opinions. But suddenly, the opinions of these employees on an internal video call were treated like breaking news on Fox and other networks. The overarching narrative was all about left-wing gender ideology going too far, endangering kids. One Fox guest said Disney is, quote, at war with American families. Disney! Look at these banners. Walt Disney has been seeing his dreams shattered. Disney turns its back on millions of Americans. They think it's their duty to repeal laws. They're talking about the company that Fox owner Rupert Murdoch did business with. Murdoch sold most of his entertainment brands to Disney a few years ago. He may still be one of Disney's biggest shareholders. But like I said, this is bigger than Disney. This is a preview of a midterm election battle in fact, it's already raging on the right. Is anybody else paying attention to it? Should they? There is an ugly history in the United States of portraying gays, lesbians, transgender people as perverts, as predators who are preying on children. And when I see some of the coverage in the last week, it seems to me they are just repeating an ugly history. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, it's, it's exasperating to watch all this go down. I can't believe that it's 2022 and we're still seeing LGBTQ families be framed as predatory or as uh, diversive, or uh, I would say as uh, almost, almost perverted. I mean, that seems to be the message to millions of LGBTQ families by the actions of Governor DeSantis right now. And I, it's heartbreaking to watch because these are families who already struggle to get by day to day in the public square and now have their own government going after them just for existing. Rhetorically, Natasha, do you see this as effective? I don't mean to talk about all this in terms of politics only, but when I'm watching the Fox coverage this week, I'm thinking they know what they're doing. Like this is something that's very compelling and scary to their audience. Well, Brian, you're right. It's, it's brilliant framing because you can't argue with a parent's right to influence their child. Parents care deeply about their children. I'm a parent, I get it. And when you focus on this particular subset, kindergarten through third grade, Again, it's very smart and it's strategic because most parents will say, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It seems pretty common sense that we wouldn't be talking about sex or sexual orientation. But it, it sort of hides the, uh, the real intention behind the bill. And the thing about parental rights framing is that this is not the first time we've seen this in American history. If you frame uh, you know, critical race theory against parental rights, then people feel, okay, we have a right to be upset. If you think about, go back to segregation. There was a parental rights argument about, well, we shouldn't really be integrating and having our kids, you know, in schools based on race because that will introduce another level of intimacy or relationship. Mm. And so when you go at that personal angle, you will actually get a lot of people who miss the sort of bigger picture behind what, what this bill is. As we said, the culture wars appear to be heating up. And, and Carlos, uh, our home state of Florida has been sort of ground zero. Uh, for some of this action with the governor, DeSantis, almost 
using the legislature as his, as his primary vehicle, literally, for 2024. But there's now a lot of copycat stuff going on in legislatures. Let me put up some headlines here on, on what critics have called this. Don't say gay bill about when, when you can talk about uh, uh, gay parents and things like this in schools, Alabama, Texas, Ohio. Um, one hallmark of the culture wars in this country is the party that overreaches is who gets punished. Are we at a tipping point here where the right's overreaching? Well, Chuck, right now, Republicans are winning the culture wars in this country. That's just the way it is. You look at defund the police. You look at defund ICE. Now in Florida, you have this parental empowerment bill. The opponents call it the don't say gay bill. Republicans have basically baited Democrats in Florida into taking the position that students in grades K through 3, students who are learning to color and read and write, should be taught about sexuality, about gender identity. So I think Democrats have consistently been at least perceived to be on the mm -hmm. wrong side of these issues, and Republicans are going to keep going to the well every time. And for Ron DeSantis, if he runs in 24... You know, Professor, so much of these fights, it seems, comes down to one of framing. Um, and this one being framed as one about parental rights. We've seen that line um, a lot recently with Republicans sort of using that tact, especially when it comes to things like school choice. Um, you think about Governor Youngkin in Virginia um, running that ad about banning the book Beloved. I wonder, is, is there a fear that um, politicians should have about perhaps pushing this too far when it comes to something like Disney um, that so many parents love and rely on because their kids love it. Is there a risk that they're going to take this too far? Well, yeah, I mean, I do think it's possible that it can be taken too far, that the extremes of the Republican Party will push this. And I, I think when they say that this is for, you know, parental rights, then the question becomes, as, as a lot of the LGBT groups have said, you know, which parents? You know, are you just going to leave this up? Because this legislation also allows lawsuits to be filed if, if a parent thinks that the school or school system has violated this law. And that might have a real chilling effect on just discussing really basic and, and simple things about e equal rights and parents that are perhaps uh, two uh, men or two women or a child who comes as transgender at five or six years old, which many children do. So I think the and there was a follow-up question for our student panelists um, to add on to that. Uh, do you feel like young kids feel seen and supported uh, as much in elementary school as they do in middle and high school? Um, to answer that question, um, so I'm in middle school and I have a younger sibling in fourth grade. And... Not 100% sure what their pronouns are, but right now, but so my sibling, I went to the same elementary school and I felt pretty supported. And I actually, like, I came out in fifth grade with the help of my guidance counselor. Um, and it was, they were really supportive. They had a, I think I, we had like a whole unit with the guidance counselor just like teaching us about stuff. And something, something cool about me, Miss Hammond? All right. All right, so something that's really cool and unique about who I am is that I am transgender. So we touched a little bit about that at the beginning of this week uh, in the book that Ms. Hammond read, but I'm going to give you my explanation about what it means to be transgender as well. 
So when babies are born, the doctor looks at them and they make a guess about whether the baby is a boy or a girl based on what they look like. And most of the time that guess is 100% correct. There are no issues whatsoever. Um, and, but sometimes the doctor is wrong. The doctor makes an incorrect guess. Um, when the doctor makes a correct guess, that's when a person is called cisgender. When a doctor's guess is wrong, that's when they are transgender. So I'm a man, but when I was a baby, the doctors told my parents I was a girl. And so my parents gave me a name that girls typically have and bought me clothes that girls typically wear. Um, and until I was 18 years old, everyone thought I was a girl. And this was super, super uncomfortable for me because I knew that wasn't right. Um, the way I like to describe it is like wearing a super itchy sweater. Um, the longer you wear it, the itchier it gets. And the only way to make the itching stop is to have everyone see and know the person that you really are. So when I was 18, I told my family and my friends that I'm really a boy. And it was like this huge weight had been lifted off of my shoulders and I had the freedom to be who I truly am. And even though this experience is super challenging sometimes, um, I am it made me the person I am and I'm super proud to be transgender. A lot of people who watch Will Smith's onstage slap of comedian Chris Rock are saying the moment carried more meaning and charge than just a man losing his cool with another man who insulted his wife. Joining me to discuss the deeper cultural context are author and film critic Issa Nefertari Yulin, who is also a professor, and Mark Anthony Neal, author and professor of black popular culture at Duke University. Professors, thank you so much for joining the news hour. And Professor Yulin, I want to jump right in with you. You wrote a searing piece for The Hollywood Reporter in which you seem to dissect each action Will Smith took that night in a deeper context of pain, specifically what you called black pain. Why do you think it's important to see this moment, this moment through that lens? I think that anytime we witness violence, we need to understand that from um, a place where we recognize the emotional and psychological state that's driving this physical response to a trigger. And Will Smith was definitely triggered that night. But I think in the broader context of American society, we need to understand what was happening there is really rooted and steeped in a 400-year commitment to Black erasure, Black marginalization, Black silencing, and the stereotyping of Black people. All of that was present in a visceral, felt, and real way in the infamous slap. So this is like a small story mixed with like what we need. Um, last year I taught entirely remotely, which means all of the parents got to hear all of my teaching, um, which um, is very exciting. The other part is that I was teaching remote kindergarten, which is hilarious, by the way. Everyone should try it. Um, and so I did a lesson on um, white privilege, essentially. I talked about how some people are treated differently based on what they look like, and all the parents heard it. And I received some emails that were like, wow, that was a really powerful lesson. Um, thank you for, for starting that conversation. And then I received some emails that were like, how dare you treat my white child differently? I'm like, was that hard for you? Like, um, so I think some of the things we need are we need either talking points for families, because if we're going to talk to kids about this, this is really hard for parents to hear, um, especially parents who they unknowingly lead very privileged lives and 
don't know how to have that conversation without feeling like they've done something wrong. It's about their parenting, but like we need talking points. We need ways to support them. We need to know that we are going to get support from our administration when we have these challenging conversations. And we as teachers need to not feel the weight of teaching these extremely large concepts and feeling like we don't have the ability to do so because we don't know where we can be silenced or should we be silenced. There's a lot. That's a big question. So I'm going to stop, but it's a lot there. Last night, Twitter suspended a very popular account called Libs of TikTok. Now, Libs of TikTok is essentially an account that finds video of liberals talking about themselves and their own beliefs and posts it. It was, of course, targeted because once you see what these people are saying, they discredit themselves and horrify normal people. Here's some of the footage Libs of TikTok has unearthed. I want to talk to the kids. Sometimes human beings are more than boy or girl. Sometimes we're something else. Sometimes we're both. Sometimes um, we kind of float in between. Mostly I feel feminine or non-binary. Today I'm feeling really femme and cat-like as well. Yeah. I didn't have to hide or lie or be embarrassed about a natural function my body does. So all that to say, I'm on my period. You heard me. Having a period for the first time in six years and not just any period, the period from hell. I identify as a threat, a nightmare, and a goddess, so please bow down to me. I do not believe in God, I don't worship the devil, but yes, I am a Satanist, which means I am my own God and I worship myself. So for the crime of letting liberals talk about themselves and showing people what they actually think, Media Matters did a hit piece on libs of TikTok, described it as hate, and Twitter dutifully pulled it off the platform. That's exactly how that system works. So the creator of libs of TikTok remains anonymous. Why? Because we live in a country where you can't even say what you think without threats of violence against you if you're not on the left. But we are happy to talk to that person over the phone, which we are doing now. The creator of libs of TikTok joins us on the line. Don't know your name, glad you're on. Um, so you were pulled off Twitter uh, after you were attacked by Media Matters for disseminating hate. Were you surprised by this? Exactly. No, I was not surprised at all. It definitely felt like a very organized attack by the left to get me suspended. So how big, and this is not the first platform from which you've been suspended for holding up liberals in their own voice, to the rest of the country. Where else have you been kicked off? I have been kicked off of TikTok and I've gotten multiple violations on Instagram. It, it's just remarkable to me in a country like ours that you feel the need to remain anonymous. Tell us why you're not giving us your name tonight. Well, I've gotten a few death threats. I get a ton of hate mail and the left has been showing recently, um, you know, how they would treat people who disagreed with them. Um, it's funny because the, some of the death threats, I mean, I've like reported it and the people, they still have their accounts on Twitter. So, you know, you can threaten violence and still keep your account, but you can't play a video of what a, a leftist is themselves saying. Right. So your opinions are violence. Their violence are protected speech. <laughs> you, you see how that works. 
thank you so much for your bravery. And again, I just can't overstate, you're not even giving your opinions necessarily, you're just holding up their opinions for the country to see and for revealing them in their natural habitat. You're on the run. Uh, creator of Libs of TikTok, whatever your name is, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. So over the short course of the Biden administration, millions of foreign nationals have streamed. That's a lot to unpack. So we have all the media with their woke shit, Seltzer, all the teachers, and then they went after Libs of TikTok. Taylor Lorenz went to her house, stalked her, the same woman that sat and cried. I had a whole show for this, and of course I was too sick. Researchers find that early grades are the best time to introduce gender identity before cis-normative values become ingrained. For uh, Professors uh, Goldfarb and Lieberman, this research that you offered, um, one, I feel like is game-changing, but is also quite fascinating, um, just in demonstrating how expansively beneficial comprehensive sex education is beyond oh, what like we shit, have man. been able to focus on so far. Uh, so I wanted to uh, ask you what your most surprising finding uh, from your research was and what you hope is embraced by sex ed programs as a result. Um, so I would say the the most surprising piece was how much um, evidence there is for sex education in elementary school. Do you believe that? Hey, I know how to stick the dick in the hole when I came to it. I didn't have that shit until junior high. You can't groom people unless you hit them early. You can't turn them into Democrats. I'm telling you, flip this liberal's Christianity. To make people good Christians, you need to start young. That's why we have Sunday school. Let teachers start putting Christianity in the school and see how far you guys go with that shit. The issue is systemic grooming. Critical grooming theory thread mocking principles of CRT is the best damn thing you'll read today. Critical grooming theory. When some people hear groomer, they immediately apply a Western individualistic lens, but they fail to realize that grooming is a systemic structural problem deeply embedded in our ways and knowing. When I, as a critical grooming theorist, say that all progressives are groomers, I'm not saying that they're personally supporting grooming as defined in the dictionary. I'm saying that they benefit politically from systemic advantages that harm children. It goes on and on, and it's classic. Because it's true. That's what you guys say. Oregon has schools that are getting pushback from parents. Oregon. Teachers. This is just a reminder that you have a trans student doesn't present in the way that you think they need to. That's probably from a place where their parents aren't super supportive and they need you to push them. I play it, but I played a lot. Fourth grade teacher thrilled that a lot of her students from last year are queer because she's queer. My kids from last year are now in fifth grade and they come visit me almost every day after school. And a lot of them are queer because I am queer. And so, and they figured it out. And so I Why is she a teacher? Trans Journalist Association. Oh yeah, you didn't know you have that? You fucking bigot. 
As news coverage of Roe Wade continues, it's important to remember that people who are not women do get pregnant and do get abortions. Not this week, pal. We move back to women. Let me put this up. Within 24 hours, this was running everywhere. Because they they knew it was working. You you can't have that working. You, You can't have that working even though it's 100 percent true you are grooming kids to be lgbt i'd respect you more if you just admit it and you don't care if they never procreate or if they get sterilized or they have these fucking horrible goddamn operations that make their dick into a fucking vagina which can't be comfortable just throwing it out there probably a lot of pain and suffering on the other side of that operation You just want it for politics. It fits your political thing. Let's put them motherfuckers in the D column. HuffPost. How am I attempting this? Well, it's simple. I learned how from watching straight people enforce a sexual orientation on their kids without ever saying straight. I never talk to my kids about being straight. Nobody does. Teacher says it's up to adults to make the classroom welcoming to kindergartners who identify as trans. Ready when they've been exposed to information, they're ready to learn about it, whether you think they are or not. And the research says that there is no age too young to talk about pretty much anything. If they know about it, they're ready to learn about it. No. No. Joe Rogan. Let me see if I can get this. A lot of times I can't get these sound bites. I'm hoping I can get these this sound bite. I got it. Listen to this. How do you feel about education? I think it's critical. It's very important. Yeah. How do you feel about indoctrination by people that are educators? I don't like that at all. There's just two diff- very different things. Right. And if you want to tell me that they're the same thing, I say fuck you. Right. Because they're not. Because there's a lot of fucking crazy people that wind up being teachers. Someone said to me that, um, or I've read this. Uh, not all you know, that term groomer a lot of people don't like that term online they're very upset yeah, yeah. but they're real right. there are groomers you you don't like it do you not like it because you don't want children to be groomed or do you not like it because it's a pejorative that's used against the left which is I think more likely yeah. well here's what's more important not have people groom your fucking kids <laughs> that's what's more important than you getting uncomfortable with this word because it's used by people on the right like I saw someone as an argument, someone who I think is an intelligent person say that there should be a block against using the word groomer. Unbelievable. No, no, there should be no groomers. How right. about that? And this is what they wrote. They said, not all teachers are groomers, but a lot of groomers are teachers. There you go. And that's real. Yeah. That's a real fucking problem. I mean, constantly teachers are getting arrested for exposing themselves to children, for masturbating in front of children, for sending nude pictures in front of children. Every couple days there's a new one that pops up in the news. And how many of those people haven't been caught yet? And how many of those people are out there? And how many of those people are doing it under the guise of I'm an LBGTQ uh, uh, educator and- I'm keeping a tally of the amount of hate mail that you're going to be getting. Well, good luck, I don't read it. (laughs) Uh, It's the, 
there's people that are good people in all walks of life trans people gay yeah. people straight people bisexual whatever the fuck you are there's good people in all walks of life there's also pieces of shit that will use those labels in order to get closer to groups of people and indoctrinate them and indoctrinate them for their own sexual pleasure and that's real so you don't like uh, kindergarten teachers talking about uh, gender identity? Well, I think your... it's important, and I think everyone should know it. I think it's like that's why that whole uh, the what they were calling the "Don't Say Gay" bill yeah. in Florida was so infuriating. Yeah, like when you're saying that you're you you oppose any sort of legislation that prevents people from talking about sex and gender identity and sexual orientation with people that are first grade through third grade you oppose anything that restricts that I go okay w w who are you talking about because if this is open-ended I've had some fucking idiots for teachers when I grew up can you imagine if those fucking idiots were trying to convince your child that they should be homosexual or that they should even be straight Imagine if you have a kid that's gay. Never mind convincing. A, but, How about just don't address, don't, right. don't talk don't. about this issue. That's my point. My yeah. point is, imagine if you have a gay child and you have a fucking teacher that's trying to indoctrinate your child into the world of heterosexuality and convince your child that they're going to burn in hell right. if that child is gay. Imagine how furious you would be. Right. Well, it works the other way too. Right. Right? It does. It works the other way. There's... You should be really good to be able to talk, really good at what you do. If you want to talk to a fucking seven-year-old about gender identity and sex, and we, I've seen some of these people with lip rings and yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. blue hair. They clearly are ideologically bound. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the way they live their life. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them pursuing whatever sexual identity they have and living their life. But I'm saying you should not be the person that talks to children about this. Yeah. Especially if you're a fucking history teacher. <laughs> to show you how bad it is, PolitiFact ran this out. New for decades, the word groomer has been associated with child sexual abuse. Now it's become used to simply imply, uh, to imply members of the LGBT community deliberately prey on children by discussing sexual orientation and gender identity. Hey, I watched the next Netflix video about the fabulous seven-year-old getting gay men stuffing money in his dick pouch. You did a series with RuPaul where men were taping their cock down. You groom. Exposure to these topics does not change the way developers say Jennifer McGuire awoke family relationship and gender identity and health and transgender youth. Misusing the term groomer views the old harmful falsehoods, experts say, but in the wake of Florida law, Pashaw and others have used the term to imply that people in the LGBTQ EIEIO community are even just those who discuss the topics are deliberately preying on children by discussing sexual orientation. The suggestion is that these concepts force students to identify their gender and sexual orientation, even if they otherwise wouldn't have. It changes how they feel about how they develop, McGuire says. Accepting parents don't change whether or not their kid is trans. They change whether or not their kids hate themselves and get kicked out of the house. Misusing the term groomer can prevent the identification of actual grooming behavior and allow abuse to go undetected. Whoa, 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 whoa. I remember... Before I got sick podcast that hey people that are fucking 
pedos, really, they're not pedos. There's nothing wrong with jerking off to little kid pictures. We just had a Supreme Court justice who lessened the sentence for people because the Internet was just too easy to get five-year-old naked photos of kids, of five-year-old kids. You said there's nothing wrong with that left. You, you just said it. So I, I think your context is pretty fucked up. You're already telling it's okay to be a pedo, and now you're pissed we're using a term that used to be for pedo for you people trying to groom people to be trans. There are longstanding false claims that gay, lesbian, and bisexual people, men in particular, molest children at a higher rate. Studies have revealed that child molesters identify as heterosexual according to the Zero Abuse Project. That's not true. We read it on the show, folks. It's buried, and I didn't save it because I'm an idiot. But the Harvard study showed that kids that were in houses of same-sex families were higher likely to be molested, higher likely to have drug abuse, higher likely to have bad grades, higher likely not to go to college, higher likely to commit crimes. And then they deep-sixed it because you can't put facts out. That was the same time on the show we did all the illegal aliens ramming motherfuckers without goddamn licenses and costing ten, hundreds of millions of dollars of damages and getting away with it. Because there's only Texas and Arizona that tracks illegal crime. A more accepting environment doesn't make you more likely to be LGBT. It just makes you less likely to get abused. Ben Shapiro, so much fact-checkering. PolitiFact is a left-wing propaganda outlet. This article is just absurd on every other. My favorite part of this insanely propagandistic bullshit. Survey studies show that an increasing number of people identify as gay, LGBT, transgender, non-binary, Gen Z adults who were born between 77 and 2003 seem to be driving an increase according to the recent Gallup poll, but Anderson and McBride both said that these increase doesn't mean there are significant more LGBTQ people. Uh, how would they not? The Gallup poll reference shows this. Generation Z, 20.8. Millennials, 10.5. Generation X, baby boomers, traditionalists. Yes, the experts probably 20% of people were always LGBT, just people who were mean. Or alternatively, there has never been a society in human history, which is the case, and people are changing their behavior and ID radically based on cultural influences. And that's the reason. Prominent trans activists celebrated by liberal press 16 felony charges for sexual abuse of a boy. Rimshot. There you go. No, it's not true. This freak was all over the goddamn TV. It's a dude that looks like a dude that says he's a girl. Lawmakers press DOD to provide troops access to abortion if Roe v. Wade is overturned. So the Army is drafting abortion till basic training. Yeah. That's fucking amazing and while we're on the subject uh, sorry here's the army's new uh, recruiting campaign So, uh, we're getting that house we told you guys about. You're buying a house? Yeah. Soldiers get VA loan guarantees. Yeah, no money down. Well, my office gives us free bagels. But that's cool. Yes. 
I'll get you the file. Sounds intense. Clients. What do you do? Retired. Tech? <laughs> nah, Army. Huh. Check your spam folder. Your turn. Really? Really? Let, let, let's play these while, while we're talking, because the 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 yeah, are you fucking stoned? And, and the worst part about this is, this is Biden's economy. You guys are for Biden. All you woke motherfuckers who believe all Republicans are Nazis, you voted for this. Oh, okay. You don't get vacation anywhere else? I get 30 days. So, uh, we're getting that house we told you guys about. You're buying a house? Yeah. Soldiers get VA loan guarantees. Yeah, no money down. Well, my office gives us free bagels. Yeah, um, hey, let, let's break that down. Um, housing market is garbage right now. It's starting to fall. In my neighborhood, it's fall $30,000 already. Which is good for me because my rent will go down for the taxation. But you also deploy. You also PCS every three years. And then you're stuck with the house. And then you sell it on assumption you have to file bankruptcy. Oh, anyway, that was me. Parental leave. Yeah, if you're an NCO, you're not taking that shit because your wife had a pregnancy. If you're on a deployment to Europe right now, which my local unit's getting a whole brigade's going over there just because Biden wants to look like he's doing something while Ukraine's getting destroyed, yeah, you're going to come home for the maybe a week and your ass is going back. And then this one. Yes. I'll get you the file. Sounds intense. Clients. What do you do? Retired. Tech? <laughs> nah, Army. Look at this beat up ass face. Yeah, that worked well. Even with the disability, I don't make as much as say a firefighter or a policeman or a teacher or the US Congress. I don't make that much goddamn money. I can't live off that. Not in Biden's economy. If I didn't get this goddamn job that's literally killing me because I'm allergic to something in the building so my stomach won't fucking heal, literally, I would be on the street right now. Or we'd be just sitting here eating canned food. Like cat food and shit. Because gas is $4 a gallon. Everything's expensive. Right now, I'm sitting in a house where I spent $1,000 this week to buy portable air conditioners because the 2.5K air conditioner I bought and I bragged about broke and they knew it was going to break but they still put it on my house and even though it's covered under warranty and i'm not going to pay a thing and they're going to put a surge protector for free they say they can get apart by wednesday they pulled some strings but do you believe that when you can't find shit i mean literally if you've gone out and tried to look for stuff lately it's not easy it's just not baby fucking formula
It's a lot of everything. So let's end on some lighter fare. Here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they gonna get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. Smoke in the air! Smoke in the air! You will never forgive yourself. No turning back now. into the area. Verify cameras are on. Alright, here we go. Three, two, one. Here comes some G's. There's five G's. Seven G's. Alright. That was awesome. I wasn't ready to make a sequel until we had a special story worthy of a sequel and until technology evolved so we could delve deeper into the experience of a fighter pilot the first movie became something that changed a generation 
So this is exciting to come back and get in those jets again. We worked with the Navy and the Top Gun School to formulate how to shoot it practically. Because if we're going to do it, we're going to fly in the F-18s. The aviation sequences had to be real. So our actors went through three months of grueling training. The Navy says if you eject, you have to be able to survive in the water. So we had to go through that challenging underwater program. It's intense. You're flipped inverted and you're having to try and get out. From there, Tom designed this all-encompassing aviation training for all the actors. I started them out in a single-engine airplane to build up their spatial awareness inside the aircraft. Oh, wow. That's amazing! Oh, my God! Next, we took them to the L-39, and they went and flew aerobatics to feel what it's like in a jet. It's the speed. Wow. From there, they'd graduate to the F-18 Super Hornet and actually launching off an aircraft carrier. The actors also had to learn how to run the cameras because when they're up in the jet, they have to direct themselves, essentially. Okay, I'm rolling. I had to really teach them cinematography and the lighting so that they understood what's gonna look good on camera. Sun angle's great. Everybody thought it would be impossible for actors to really be in the jets. But that's the gift that Tom gave us, that by the time we got up there, we could handle it. Definitely the most amazing thing I've ever done. All the training, 100% prepared us. I'm very proud of what we all accomplished. Each one of them are extraordinary. It still blows my mind that we've done this. There's nothing like it. What kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who's gonna teach us? Today we'll start with what you only think you know. Nice. What the hell? Easy, Maverick. Let's try not to get fired on the first day. We're going into combat on a level never seen. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Oh my god, here they go! Top Gun Maverick, ready PG-13. returns as Maverick. This is a competition film about family, friendship, and sacrifice. It's a love letter to aviation, 
We're going to show you what it's really like to be a Top Gun pilot. You just can't create this kind of experience unless you shoot it live. In order for us to accomplish this, we have the greatest fighter pilots in the world working with us. We're working with a brand new camera system that allows us to put six IMAX quality cameras inside the cockpit with the actors. Verify cameras are on. Check cameras on. There you go. It's amazing what we see in the cockpit and what an audience is going to experience. Tom, all the actors are becoming accustomed to the G-forces by all the training that they're doing. It is aggressive. You can't act that. The distortion in the face. They're pulling seven and a half eight Gs. That's 1,600 pounds of force. I am so proud of them and what they've done. And it is heavy duty. Oh, oh my God. All right. Oh, okay. Putting us up in these jets, it's very serious. That's why everybody thought it would be impossible. And I think when Tom hears that something's impossible or it can't be done, that's when he gets to work. Fighter jets is an absolute thrill ride. We want to make sure that the audience has the same experience. Three, two, one, turn. Aviation film like this has never been done, and Chancellor will never be done again. Here we go. In three, two, one. What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they gonna get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking.
And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. Target's gotta stop playing around with my emotions. I went there yesterday. And I damn near fell in love in the ladies' yoga pants section. I was shopping for other shit. They used to just have Twiggy, flat-ass, sunken-chested uggos modeling their affordable yet fashionable lady goods. But now, they got all different size and shape ones. Curvy ones, ones with dump truck butts, top-heavy baddies, and even a couple of fatties thrown in for good measure for fellas who aren't afraid to get down with the thickness. Like when you're drunk and whatnot. I had to dive behind a rack of tapered-leg high-rise mom jeans just to hide the swollen beef pissing in my pants. I'm telling you. You give me one of those fine fiberglass sheep foxes, a sawzall, and a flashlight, I'll make you the greatest artificial fuck buddy since Blade Runner. Better than anything that numbnuts Elon Musk could come up with. In fact, I may or may not have a couple for sale right now on my Squarespace page. Hell yeah! What we got? Male, late 20s, traveling at around 100 miles per hour. I'd say he was higher than Hunter Biden. Damn shame. Uh, let's go ahead and notify next kin. Secure the scene. And who the fuck are you? Agent Richard Little. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. This is our crime scene. I don't think so, Mommy Milkers. Oh, this place reeks of Omicron. I'm pretty sure he wrecked his fucking ATV booster, boy. Does this, does this right here look like it's an ATV accident? Uh, yes. Yeah. Gotta get both nostrils. <sighs> Smells like money. COVID. Smells like COVID. This isn't a fucking COVID case, you idiot. What she said. Well, I'm positively positive that he's COVID positive. Hold this. Fauci! COVID's over. This guy wouldn't happen to have any ties with Russia, would he?
Second at Montana, second at Vegas, first place finish today. Yeah, that's right, Claire. Thank you. Yes, we've had a good start to the year, but uh, coming up short in the last couple of weeks, I was definitely bummed. But uh, you know, overall, just a uh, great day for the 50th anniversary Bass Pro Shop team. They, they did a heck of a job, and uh, you know, we led a lot of laps and kept ourselves in contention all day. Great pit stops, and uh, can't say enough about the fans. The fans were pretty rowdy today out here in Phoenix. So. We've had a great start to the season, but to be able to, to get to victory lane this early, yeah. it's great for our team. Because it's never enough. It's never enough if you're a driver. You feel like your job is not done if you don't win. <laughs> yeah, So the first one, oh yeah, my friends, let me try to do this so it looks good. That is my tickets for Maverick, and we ended with my tickets for NASCAR. Boom, boom, Tennessee Lottery, so I can see the Mayor of Throttletown. It's a good series. I didn't play the whole thing. It's really long, but it followed him out there. Action Figure Therapy is back on the podcast. I was sitting... My my digestive system came back to life a little bit over the last week. That's why I can podcast, even though I'm constipated as shit today, because I didn't really eat anything yesterday. But um, And I'm sitting there taking a hairy dump, and somehow I clicked on Action Fiction Figure Therapy on a link on my phone. And they do non-liberal ones again. So I had to bring it back. Matt Best... I don't really get into Black Rifle Coffee because I work with them and they're kind of dickheads. But, um, yeah, I forgot to put their COVID police out there. I thought it was kind of funny. But, um, once again, that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share this with family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com where you'll find links to this video and the audio. 
because I'm sure you've already listened to all the old ones. As I took 30, well, shit, what, what is it? It's, um, holy crap. It, it's 39 days. Yeah, 39 days. That, more than 39 days. Fuck me, it's been 45 days. I am so sorry. I am just so sorry, folks. Um, On the health front, which I talked earlier, um, you know, they don't know what happened. Um, they believe it's nerve damage, which is starting to prove a little bit. And uh, I have to get an operation where they tighten your esophagus. As stated, the only thing that's bothering me now is allergens. Um, I, at work, there's mold in the building. And, of course, I'm not saying where I work, but there's mold. We know there is because we were told by the previous staff. It's in the heater vent. So when the AC started coming on, because uh, we got really hot this week, these last five days have been horrible for me. I, I'm just super nauseous. I'm on heavy-duty nausea meds. Um, I took a course of some kind of relaxant that helped and I just really can't eat. Um, I still sleep in a chair sitting straight up, which is not fun um, for the record. It uh, sucks. And I got my CPAP uh, fixed so it's down, but now it's too low. So I'm suffocating when I go to bed, which is kind of part of the problem why I'm having stomach issues. But eventually I'll get another sleep test to get a new CPAP because I can't sleep without the fucking thing. And that'll stop inflaming my stomach like this morning when it was full of air and raw. And it just starts your day off with nausea. Um, it's uncool. I don't drink anything but water. I fucking don't dip Copenhagen. I dip pouches. I get six, six dips a day. And sometimes I don't even have six dips because it's too much nausea. And I eat a lot of fruit cocktail. Fruit cocktails, my friend, graham crackers, uh, tuna fish, for whatever reason. I can have chicken every once in a while. This morning in my house, a couple fried eggs and some uh, freaking cocktail. But my digestive system's so screwed up off this that oatmeal makes me constipated. So do the fucking math on that. That makes no goddamn sense. But I'm healthy enough now that I can come down here. Um, the problem was I just couldn't come down. I couldn't, I tried to start a couple podcasts, but I just get so nauseous that I was like, fuck this. I can't really talk about these things. If you look at the last show on April 1st at the end, I was looking green because that was my limit. Um, I was still dipping Copenhagen, which I shouldn't have been. And, um, it just wasn't sitting. So, um, I'm hoping now I'm back in the flow. I have, uh, to work every day this week. So we're going to look at a uh, May 22nd and then May 25th, I will do two that week. Um, and we will start doing podcasts. There's plenty of material. I missed some really good shit, which hurt my sphincter, but you know, what are you going to do? But for those that were still listening, cause I still saw listens, I appreciate it for the diehard fans like Matt and Oregon. I'm just sorry, but I know it's like, I listened to. Shapiro, The Ruthless Podcast, uh, Dana Carvey's podcast is really good if you haven't tried the uh, Fly on the Wall, and I listened to Bumper uh, Door Bumper Clear, which is uh, 
once a week. And I know when I don't have my podcast, then I just listen to Audible because I go in at work at 7 and for three hours I'm by myself usually picking stuff and prepping the store and counting money and all that shit. And when I don't have a podcast, it's really a bummer. So I feel your pain and I'm so sorry I was part of that pain, but I'm going to fix it. Uh, it's now back on. Um, I will continue to podcast, even if it's just a short one. I even made three or four shows that I said, I'm so sorry, I can't podcast, but I just never posted them because it seemed really stupid. But I promise you this machine will start cranking. I'm sorry for the technical on the light. It was kind of fucked up. It looks like my lips are also off, which I just caught, which is bullshit. Well, that should make it better. So excuse that, folks. Didn't even catch it. So, I suck, is what I'm trying to say. But I love you all for still sticking with me. And I promise I will be back here next Sunday, or maybe earlier if work works better, do an afternoon podcast. I'm going to get us some podcasts going so we can actually cleanse our soul. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes, And tune back in next Sunday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.